We live in a time of great change. I suspect many preachers have started their sermons by saying that over many years uh, because uh, change has been something that's been with us really since creation. Uh, But we live in a day of uh, accelerated change, don't we? We live in a world that's very different to uh, the world that our forefathers lived in. But despite those changes, there are many things that stay the same. Uh, You don't need me to remind you, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. And another thing that doesn't change is human nature. Uh, Human nature is the same today, maybe dressed slightly differently, but the nature is the same. And uh, because of that, uh, we find that what I've called the gospel pattern doesn't change. Whether you look in the Old Testament or the New Testament, you will find uh, principles of how people come to know the Lord. And I think it's an interesting uh, concept to look at tonight. We'll be thinking of how someone does come to faith, uh, not simply so that people may come to faith, or that would be great, uh, but also as Christians we may begin to observe what the Lord does when he saves sinners. Now you'll find this pattern in other Old Testament stories and you'll find it in the New Testament, uh, particularly I'm thinking where Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, you can follow a similar pattern there. The difference will be, of course, that Peter lived in a different time. So when he approached the uh, crowd, he was speaking to Jews and he spoke to them a lot about their history so that they would understand where he was coming from. And then he brought them, as it were, up to Jesus Christ. Where, of course, in the Old Testament, we're in a different time. But we'll find there are many principles here. And the interesting thing for a Christian is that we might be observant that when we talk to people, particularly who are not Christians, we might understand where they are uh, spiritually in their knowledge. Because if we can understand that, we know where to come in to begin to speak to them. So, for example, um, even on Saturday we may find people willing to speak about the gospel. You may find someone who knows nothing about the gospel. And so we can start talking about creation and how things came about and look at the wonder around and and begin to lead them up to the fall and and off you go as it were. Whereas you may come across someone else who is very familiar with the Bible. They may be very familiar with the gospel. So you don't need to talk about creation with them. You need to talk about and and kind of ascertain what they know about the, the, the heart of the gospel. Again, it's not really very valuable to talk to people about the love of God unless they begin to know why they need to know the love of God and and how it comes out in the cross. So there's lots of different things we could look at and I want us to kind of look at the story of Naaman to see how it was. He was brought from a place of, of total ignorance, more or less, to a place where he confessed that this is the only God, the God that is in Israel. Now, at the time uh, of Naaman, uh, Jehoram, or Joram, according to which verses you're looking at, um, is king. Now, he was the son of Ahab, and Richard told us not so long ago a bit about Ahab. He wasn't exactly one of the good kings. He was a very bad king. And his son, Jehoram, was a a slight improvement on his father, Uh, but that's not very difficult, really. Um, He still did that which the scripture says was evil in the sight of of the Lord. There was a king with the same name in Judah, um, so when you're reading these things, don't get confused with him. And the account we've read of is of Naaman. Naaman, of course, uh, was captain of the host, not in Israel, but in Syria. And uh, Syria was often a pain to Israel. 
Not all the time, but at various times they would invade uh, Israel. And indeed, Syria still can be a pain to Israel. Um, And it was on one of these Syrian raids that they took captive. And one of those captives was the maid that was now working for Naaman's wife. So that's kind of the background to this. So as we go into the story, I want us to note, first of all, and maybe mostly, what I call the gospel pattern. You see, we're introduced to Naaman for one very good reason. In verse 1 it says, but he was a leper. So it builds him up into a great character and how important he was in the land. But then it comes very severely to say he was a leper. And as a leper, he needed cleansing. And so do we as sinners, don't we? We need cleansing, not from leprosy, but from sin. And often in the scripture, there is a parallel between those things. And looking at Naaman's cleansing gives us some of these gospel principles. And the first thing I want us to notice here as we look at this gospel pattern is that like most people, Naaman was initially oblivious to his need. Um, Naaman had eyes, he could see the wonder of nature, Uh, he had a mental capacity to ponder how these things got there, Um, he must have seen like we do, a tree is just the same tree today as it was then, he looked at the structure, he must have looked at the wonder of the colours and everything that we see, but he doesn't appear to have any knowledge of God, it's very similar to a lot of people today, we talk to them and they have no knowledge of God, they've not been brought to church, they've not been to Sunday school, They turn on the television, they don't really see any biblical Christianity there. But what Naaman did see was the gods of Syria. And uh, they were very far-fetched from the God of Israel. And maybe he took part in the worship of the Syrian gods. We have a clue there, because after he had been cleansed, he says to Elisha um, in verse 18... In this thing the Lord pardon thy servant, that when my master goes into the house of Rimmon, this is Naaman's master, when he goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there, that is to worship a Syrian god, and he leans on my hand. In other words, Naaman used to go to worship with his boss. And what um, Naaman is saying here, I've still got to do that, but when I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon my servant for this. In other words, what he's saying is, I've got to go in with my boss, but my heart's not with that. I now serve the God of Israel, but I've, I've got to do that. And it's interesting that Elisha says, go in peace, go in peace. And although that's not part of the, the message tonight, really, but there's something in that, isn't there? Sometimes we have to do things that we're not that happy doing, but we haven't got a lot of choice but we can take it to the Lord. The Lord understands what's going on in our hearts. He understands the motive of what we are doing. But Naaman is ignorant of the God of heaven. I suppose we could say that the knowledge of God in our land is probably the lowest that perhaps it's ever been. Maybe for a good few hundred years. And yet even with a low knowledge, I quoted a little bit of this from Romans 1 this morning, we read there, for the invisible things of him from creation of the world are clearly seen. People can see that, they are without excuse. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. 
a little verse tucked away, Ecclesiastes, I think, where it says there <clears throat> that God hath set a sense of eternity or the ages into the heart of mankind, that even an atheist has a residual thought, if you like, in the back of his mind, someone did this, even if he doesn't want to call him God. I suppose when we ask people today about Jesus Christ, most people not only don't know much about him, they say, well, I think he was a prophet, something to do with Israel, but they don't really care. And I expect Naaman was like that. He, he did not care at one time. Why should he care? He had no interest in the things of God. He was fine. Life was, was very nice for him. He had the comforts of life. And he had the comforts of life that would certainly keep the thoughts of God well away. It says he was a captain of the host. He was an important man. 99% of the population would have doffed their caps to him as he walked down the high street. He had a wife. He had servants. The scripture says he was a great man. And left alone, he would have continued in life without any thoughts of God. And in one sense, we could say the leprosy that came upon him was one of the best things that ever happened to him. But the next thing we see here is some people then become aware of their need. We sometimes use the phrase, it came to me like a bolt from the blue. And that's what happened to Naaman. All of a sudden he saw a white mark. And that was very common, really, in uh, the East at that time. And, and there was no cure. You get leprosy today, it's, it's quite easily cured, I understand. But he was a leper. And this wasn't just a disease. Don't forget, there was no medical aid that we have today. It meant that, ultimately, it would be a slow, painful, lonely death. He would be cast out of the home. He'd be cast out of the town. It would be the end of his family. It would be the end of his job but the end of his money, the end of his status and power. And so all of a sudden he sees a need, and he felt that need. As I say, this was the best thing that ever happened to him. We think of the story of Pilgrim's Progress. You know, it was, it was when Pilgrim saw and felt his burden, his burden of sin. It was then that he pursued a remedy. And so today we really need people to feel their need of a saviour, to feel the weight of sin. And that's something we need to pray for, isn't it, for people in the village and our communities, that they may have a sense of sin. And that's a gift of the Holy Spirit in many ways, because, uh, you know, if you go back to times of revival, I think particularly as I've read on the Isle of Lewis, etc., and one or two others also, that people came to the churches and they weren't quite sure why but they felt bad. They knew they needed God, but weren't quite sure why. And as they were unable to be spoken to concerning the law of God, they began to that's why. I, I feel sinful, I feel bad, I can now identify with it. I've broken the law of God, I am a sinner, I see now my need. And many of those who came to those uh, places and times of revival, they were just like Naaman a few days ago. They knew nothing, but now God has got hold of them. And they've come to a place realising that they have a need. You know, it's a sorry place to be when we come to a, a place of need in the sense that we are alienated from God. The extent of sin is 
is, is so extensive. It reaches every part of our body, our minds and our hearts. It affects our desires. It affects our actions and our wishes. The nature of sin ultimately takes us to the grave, doesn't it? It is sin that is between man and God. And sometimes people talk about bad things we do. We, we mustn't upset your neighbour and, and be kind to one another. All those things are true, but it's not the nub of the matter. The nub of the matter is sin is between us and God, and it alienates us from him. And in the terms and words of Scripture, we are dead in trespass and sin. And if tonight, whether we be here or online, we come to the realisation that we've never come to see that need, then you are really in a far worse place than Naaman. For if you have leprosy tonight, not only can you be cured of it, as it were, um, but uh, you can be a Christian, you can come to faith and still have leprosy, as it were, but as a sinner, unforgiven, we go to judgment and uh, into eternity. And the gospel is about being delivered from the wrath of God and uh, to be delivered from, from judgment. It's something that we need to tell, isn't it? So Naaman saw and he felt his need and it's this that drove him on. What's the third thing we see here? He did something about it. You know, there are people around who know the gospel, they know their need, they felt their need and they know all about judgment and, and all that's going to happen, etc. But they do nothing. Naaman did something. What did he do? Well, the first thing he did was he listened to the servant to tell him of one who could help. And it's an amazing story. We, we could develop that about this little maid. doesn't even give a name, does it? It's a, it's a wonderful thing. We've, we've looked some years ago, I think, now at people in the Bible whose names are not given. And, uh, but, but what they did was, was amazing. And he listened to that servant via others in the household. Verse 4, And one went in and told his lord, saying, Thus and thus saith the maid that is of the land of Israel. What else did he do in doing something about it? He sought the man of God. He didn't know where to go. Um, and in fact, first of all, didn't he? he went to his own master. He went to the king and says, can I go? And the king says, yeah, I'll write a letter for you, a letter of, of commendation. And I suppose the, the, the king of Syria did what he thought was the right thing, to do it at king level. But of course, the king of Israel was most upset with that. My friends, it's no good looking to others, is it? When we've got the matter of sin and we need salvation, we have to go to the Lord. It's good to talk to a man of God and talk to other Christians. But ultimately, they're not going to save you. They're going to point you to the Lord Jesus Christ. He needed to do business with God. What did he do? He sought the means of God. In other words, he sought the way to be cured. Yes, he got it wrong initially, but he pursued that he wanted to be right. He wanted to be healed. But all of his doing couldn't cure him. But nevertheless, it was a sign that something was going on in his life. Moving on with his pattern or process, if you like. God did what Naaman couldn't do. He could only go so far, couldn't he? And, and even Naaman's doing so far have only been enabled by the enabling of God. God had moved in providence in placing that maid in that family. 
Wasn't that amazing? You know, she must have been quite distressed. Imagine the parents being distressed. Maybe they were dead, we don't know. But this little maid, we don't know how old she was, <coughs> but she's in a strange land. And yet she was able to know of Elisha. She was enabled to know what Elisha could do under the hand of God. And she was placed in that particular house at that particular time. And she was given the courage to speak up. You put all that lot together, it's an unlikely scenario, but under the hand of God, that's what happened. God was doing what Naaman couldn't do. And then God had Elisha. Elisha was in the right place. He was ready to pray. He was ready to trust in God. What if Elisha hadn't been ready? What if Elisha was having a bad day? We all get bad days, don't we? We don't feel very holy today. He wasn't. He was ready. And it was God, of course, who did the work. Naaman couldn't cure himself no more than you and I can cure ourselves of sin. What else did he do? He heard the good news of the gospel. Verse 10, what did, they, what did uh, Elisha's servant tell him to do? Go and wash. Go and wash. It was too simple. It was amazing. Just go and wash. You know, you go to the doctor today and they say, you've got this wrong, you need an appointment for a scan and then you need to go into hospital and you need an operation and, and you're going to be cut about and all the rest of it and then you've got to get better again. What if a doctor said to you, just go and wash? It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? You know, to know our sins forgiven. What does the scripture say for us? Go and wash. Know the cleansing of the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's too simple for many. Others want to bring their, perhaps their gifts of ritual, of works, of morality, but none of that avails. If, if that could avail, why did Christ come? Why did he die on the cross? Why did he bleed in agony? Why do we have all this account in the scripture if we could just be good? Because we can't be good because of our sinful nature. But you see, Naaman still didn't quite understand, did he? He wanted to do something different. He wanted to go to the clean rivers. He didn't like what he was being told. Maybe we've been like that, even those of us who are Christians. There was a time when we heard the gospel and we said, you've got to come in repentance and faith. And we didn't really like that. Our old nature was still jibbing against that. Why can't I do this? Why can't I go there? And the Lord said, look, it's so simple. Christ has come and died. Just come by faith and be washed in that precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Elisha... Uh, Naaman here is still thinking a bit like the gods he'd heard of, uh, perhaps the god of Rimmon back in the boss's temple. He, he as yet had no concept of the grace and the mercy of God, let alone his love. He, his eyes, if you like, and his mind were still darkened to those things. And so what else did he need? He needed someone to show him sense. Verse 13, his servants came and... Uh, they spoke to him and said, the prophet had told you to do something really difficult, we might say to pay a lot of money or to, you know, to, to go on some pilgrimage, you would have done it. How much rather than this very simple thing? And sometimes we need Christians to help us, to point us to Christ, to explain the gospel a little bit more. To be used by God the Holy Spirit to convince us of our situation, to convince us of what needs to be done. And Naaman here, he saw things as they were. He was dying. And a simple remedy had been given. What folly to refuse. 
Isn't that the gospel, isn't it? Go and wash. Come, repent and believe the gospel. It's, it's why refuse when we have eternal death, as it were, to come if we don't. And so outside of Christ, we're, we're destined to that. But what else happened here then? Well, this is the marvellous bit, wasn't it? He was cleansed. Learning what needed to be done was good, but no amount of learning was going to make him clean. He could die a very learned man, but he'd still die a leper. And we could learn all about the gospel. We can know the Bible. We can memorise the Bible. And we can die outside of Christ. You know, the Bible is a wonderful book. And you can, as you know, you can have a libraries after library of commentaries and, and people's thoughts on the scripture. And, and you could take it all in and still die a sinner. You don't need to have a great intellect to become a Christian. But if you've got a great intellect, you can use it. It's one of the wonders of the gospel. We just need to take heed of what's called for. And so it says in verse 14, He went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Oh, can you imagine the moment? It must have been tremendous. He went down this dirty old river and he came up and he looked. He thought, nah. Here's second time, third time. Went down six times. It's just one more time. And up he comes and it's gone. Gone. It must have been a tremendous feeling. He, he was going to die. He, he'd gone on this long journey. He'd gone through all of this uh, rigmarole with Elisha, etc. And now that had actually happened. He was cleansed. Not only that, you can imagine the amazement of the company of men with him. You can imagine the joy when he got back home to his family. It's gone. The maid, I hope she got a little reward, you know, for, for sharing that glorious thought with him. And my friend, as sure as Naaman was cured, so all those who come in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ will be cleansed from our sin. I was quoting, it's in the magazine there, I think. You know, as uh, the Queen said at one point in one of her messages, God sent into the world a unique person, but she didn't send a philosopher. She didn't send a general, but a saviour with power to forgive. And that's what Naaman found, one who was able to cleanse him. And that's who we have, Jesus Christ. So what is Naaman's view now? He says, now I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. His whole view had been changed. Not only had he been healed, his mind had been healed, his heart had been changed. He just knew that this was God. So looking at those principles, what have we seen? Most people are oblivious to their need. Some people become aware of their need. Naaman did something about it, but it couldn't cure him. God did what Naaman couldn't do. Naaman then heard the gospel, that there was a cure. He needed someone to show him the sense of the matter. And he was cleansed. He needed that final step of faith to actually believe and to go into that water. So we see here the blessing of faith, if you like, in action. And in verse 11, he was really struggling. Because he says there that he was expecting something different, wasn't he? 
And, and I like that little phrase he says there, or just two words, verse 11. He says, I thought. He expected Elisha to come out and, and to do all sorts of things and put his hand over him and, and to say certain words and make quite a fuss over him. Behold, I thought he would come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord. It wasn't unreasonable, was it? That's what he would expect to happen. And my friends, we might often have thoughts about what we should do and shouldn't do that are reasonable and unreasonable. But Naaman's thoughts were unreasonable when you consider he was about to go against the word of God. And we have to be careful that our reasonable common sense approach to things is not in conflict with the word of God. We read in Isaiah 55, my thoughts, says God, are not your thoughts. Naaman says, I thought... Yeah, but it's not your thoughts that count. My thoughts are not your thoughts, saith the Lord. And then we also read about being doers of the word and not hearers only. So he came from that low point where he was saying, well, I thought this would happen. And then what does he say? He says, now I know. Now I know. Isn't that a wonderful transformation? I thought this, I thought that, but now I know. That wasn't just, as it were, he's thinking. He knows now. And what had brought this great change? Faith in action. And that's what it is we come to, to, to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's faith in action. For whosoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, they shall be saved. And that's another principle here, isn't it? That we obey faith cometh by the hearing of the word of God. But then finally here, someone here was off, off route, weren't they? Uh, someone didn't fit into this roadmap, and that was, uh, you know, people who have perhaps having heard the gospel, having made some profession of faith, seem to go off course. Where do they appear here? Well, I suppose two issues here. First of all, anyone who truly comes to faith will be kept, will be kept to the end. I remember down in Essex, uh, I think must have been doing some door-to-door work, I found quite an elderly lady. And uh, she said, oh, yes, I used to go to church. Uh, it was 30 or 40 years since she'd been to church. And she probably had been a Christian, as it were. Uh, and she came to start coming to the meetings. And she came quite regularly to the meetings. And she really, her life was restored to the Lord. And she wasn't with us long, and the Lord took her home to glory. And it was a lovely picture of someone who truly was a believer. But through various circumstances, she drifted away. But she was a believer, and the Lord brought her back before he called her to glory you know some people just need that uh, something a bit extra there don't they we're looking here at uh, I've turned over two pages never mind it might be better if I did that two issues here the one who truly comes to faith will be kept to the end Um, but we've got this character Gehazi haven't we and uh, what a character he was You see, he was a man who knew the truth. He was a man who lived uh, with and served Elisha. He he would have seen other miracles. He'd just seen what had happened. He'd seen this great man go down in the water and come up cleansed. So he was someone who should really have been trusting in the things of God. He should really have been uh, faithful. But we see what happens here. He gets... Uh, a desire for the things he's seen. Uh, Naaman had offered 
Elisha these changes of, of garments. He'd offered them uh, silver. He'd offered them all sorts of things. And Elisha said, no, don't need those things. And Gehazi kind of ka-ching, he's beginning to see in his own mind. I wouldn't mind some of those. And so he goes after him, doesn't he? And uh, he says, well, someone's come along and they would really like and could make use of these things. And so basically he, he takes them, doesn't he? But it's very sad when someone like that finds that the lust for riches was greater than his love for the things of God. He saw the goods, he lusted after them in verse 20. He lies in verse 22 um, because he says there that uh, he came back, didn't he? And Elisha basically says, where you been? He said, been nowhere. He lies to Naaman and he lies to Elisha. And what happens? He left a leper. Still scope for repentance, but we don't read of it. Just as uh, we read, uh, Richard brought us a few weeks ago to Hebrews 6. If we don't take what the Lord offers us, there's, there's nothing extra. We put Christ to an open shame, and that's what uh, Gehazi did here. So a little bit of application as we come to a close. Think about the people that the Lord brings across your path. Um, they're somewhere in this pattern. They may know nothing, they may know something, they may know quite a lot, but they still need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And according to where they are, then we come in at at a certain position, don't we? Naaman didn't need to tell Naaman didn't need Elisha to tell him of his condition. He already knew it. Sometimes people come and say, No, I'm a sinner. Okay, we don't need to talk about sin. You know you're a sinner already. Some people need to know the remedy for sin rather than 14 definitions of sin. But many will be where Naaman was at the beginning, unaware of their situation. So let's pray particularly, perhaps for those we know that are not Christians, that uh, we, we see where they are in that particular pattern. Notice that God used people to bring about his glory. This little maid again, and, uh, and Elisha. Little maid insignificant, Elisha was a really important guy, wasn't he, in the light of scripture. God used them both. They were both necessary. And sometimes we think we're not very important. We're a small cog, as it were. We're a small wheel in the the machinery of things. Well, the Lord can use us. We don't read any more about this slave girl. She comes onto the stage, as it were, and she appears here and she's gone. Wouldn't she think it's absolutely fantastic that all these years later, there's these people in the village in a land that she'd never heard of, actually talking about her and using her as a gospel example. She was ready to show the way, and that's a wonderful thing. My friends, whether we are a maid or an Elisha, our feet should be shod with the gospel. Uh, And then perhaps finally, let's examine our lives to see what the Lord would have us to do. You know, maybe we need to take that step of faith. And here comes encouragement, isn't it? It's encouragement for us to, to come with that step of faith, to indeed come to Christ and say, yes, I believe what you did on the cross was, was for me. And by faith, I need to be washed in that precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you know what's needful, but you have yet to prove it. Well, when you're ready with all things to part, when we're ready to come in repentance and and to follow Christ, to be a disciple of his, then come and know your sins forgiven, because that's the promise of all who come in repentance and faith. So may these things be a blessing and a help to us. And uh, may they give glory.
to the Lord Jesus Christ.